0: Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today we're going to talk about the cancel culture and our free will and what does the Bible have to say about it. In this podcast, we'll discuss our free will and freedom of speech and where scripture speaks about it. Today, we'll lead off with Romans 1, verses 24 and 25. And as usual, we'll have many other scriptures that we reference today and we'll put those in the overview. So, with The cancel culture as our primary topic. Let's just dig right in. And we want to thank one of our listeners, Mr. Bob, Mm -hmm. uh, for requesting the subject matter today. So thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Yes, uh, sent me a text on that. So
1: free will and the cancel culture. Uh, How do they fit together? What has one got to do with the other? We're going to look at that and follow the biblical pattern which is not so much free will as it is freedom versus slavery, and what that has to do with us if we need, we uh, find ourselves in a place to resist the cancel culture. Um, speaking up these days about certain things, you get canceled, thrown out. But our witness to the Creator is canceled then, so we don't want that. We ought to bear testimony to the Creator. And here's two verses that deal with God the Creator that fit together and clearly show the context, even 2,000 years later, of our cancel culture.
0: Romans 1, 24 through 25. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the Creator rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Right.
1: The Creator who is blessed forever. And in Romans 1, in those verses, that's the section that deals with the origin of homosexuality which we have discussed previously. The idea that we who bear witness to our Creator, and of course, obviously we bear witness to Jesus, our Redeemer, but as we will see, it's just important now as it was then to bear witness to our Creator, because sometimes we will suffer because of our Creator, which means it's because of our witness to Him that we suffer.
0: Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4:19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There you go. Those who suffer according to God's will, which means those
1: who follow God's word, those who, when they have the opportunity, make it known. And they must trust themselves first and foremost to a faithful creator because 2,000 years ago in the culture of Peter and the early Christians, testifying that there was one God who created us all, and et cetera, and that there's a morality to be had from that, was not always popular and they suffered for it. They would have been canceled. Today. They would have been canceled yeah. the hard way yeah. as we know. Yeah. What is the Christian expectation? Freedom comes from speaking out and speaking out brings freedom. These are the great truths we got to hang on to. We affirm Genesis 1 and 2 as to the genders God created just two and when we have the opportunity, we hope in a good way, but uh, sometimes it does get uh the debates get intense, but nonetheless, it must be done. Bear that good witness. It is no coincidence that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, naming reality, what Adam does with the animals, and then mm-hmm. he's he goes and names the woman. He yeah, cannot name what stuff. doesn't exist, mm-hmm. and so then he, he knows by intuition uh, that she came out of him. That's a reality that he names. That is inseparable from the two genders. Those things hang together. Certainly, we should see the importance of that in Genesis that when the naming of reality is being expressed, it first is expressed by saying there's a man and there's a woman, and the two correspond to one another. The narrative these days is to use a false witness to describe reality. For example, the vocabulary word pro-choice. That's false because it's not pro-choice, it's pro-death. Transgender, a term that means nothing, means a guy who says now he's a woman. Note that always these people are usually on the same side of denying reality. In the last 20 years, the speed of how things have changed is amazing. So since we're inventing words, I got one. I got a new vocab. What's vocab that? vertigo. <laughs> it's- what's, what's that? <laughs> words, words are being made so fast, it makes, it makes you dizzy. It's chaos. Ah, but again, yeah. as we said last time, having chaos is part of the plan, as well as that in a chaos getting us to use their vocabulary words in the belief that when you repeat something often enough, it picks up a reality of its own yeah. and people just take it for granted. Yeah. Here's a new one that I came across I'd never seen before, but it, it goes back to our last podcast of um, the man who now says he's a woman by the name of Leah Thomas, who's the swimmer, breaking all those records at Penn State. It's called dead naming. An NBC reporter got after a lot of other journalists who were saying uh, Leah Thomas who was known as Will Thomas when he swam for the other people. Well, you can't name him Will. That's dead naming. That's gone. It's over. You shouldn't do that. That never existed. That never existed. Yeah. And that brings us into erasing history, yeah. which is going to be another one of our podcasts, probably by uh, sometime in February. So dead naming. I read that and I thought, what in the world is it now? So what are we going to do? Are we going to be slavery to the world's vocabulary or to God's? Let's look at Galatians 5.1.
0: For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Yes, this is big in Galatians, and
1: we will see throughout the Bible. Uh, The choice is always between slavery and freedom, and we are to choose. We are to choose. And about free will, we're not really free until, in fact, we make that choice for freedom. Uh, God's vocabulary has male and female, and there's no transgender. So that's where we got to go if we if we cave to those things. It's a form of slavery, just mm-hmm. as the people of Galatia were being canceled by the Judaizers in the matters of grace. Uh. You know? And Paul says, you've fallen from grace because you're going back under these people who have pressured you to cancel going back to Christian grace, yeah. and now you're going back to being saved by law. So as Christians, we must name things as they are. And according to Jesus, we have that ability because you have to be free to do that Otherwise, you're a slave and you go along with the world. So let's listen to Jesus' words. Uh, he's debating his enemies, and it's a great debate. John chapter 8, 29
0: through 32. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth will set you free.
1: And that is what we want as Christians. It's where we want to be. And it's in freedom that we see things as they are and therefore name them as they are. Freedom is lost when we don't name things as they are. Let's find Israel for our example in Exodus chapter 14, which makes this very clear. Randy's going to read Exodus 14, 5 through 8 first.
0: When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly.
1: Exactly. So here are the people of Israel on their way to freedom, freedom, and what happens because they're being pursued? Verses 10 through 14.
0: When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. There you go. They're about to lose
1: their freedom. They're about to cave. They realize they're about to be canceled by Mm -hmm. Pharaoh. And so uh, they're having real second thoughts. What is the cost of freedom? Simply this. Name things as they are. The desire of the slave Here, as we see, is not to have freedom if the cost is too great. In this case, it's death. But let's look at a couple other places to round this out. Numbers
0: chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. I, I don't think I liked cucumbers, as yeah. <laughs> much as,
1: I'm sorry. Ed. Well, some people don't like leeks either. But here we have naming their past slavery as something, romanticizing it, yeah. romanticizing the past as if it was, well, we had a pretty good come to think of it, yeah. you know. Freedom is something that can be an awesome responsibility But we need to grab it and run with it. Listen to what they said originally back in Exodus 223.
0: During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God.
1: Exactly. They were in slavery. They weren't it's interesting they said they go back to serve Pharaoh, and that word in the Hebrew can mean serve, but it's they're putting a spin on it they, they were not servants they were slaves yeah there's a big difference and yet they cannot remember what it was really like because they won't name it what it is because now between freedom and death they're, they're, they they want to go back to slavery which apparently pervertedly they think is freedom mm-hmm. so we cannot name um the bad times as good times <laughs> they can be very easily self-deceived self-deceived yeah. yes the greatest of deception lie to yourself We've got to name the reality of our past as well as our present. This is the basis for Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. You've got to get up and say, my name is Jim. I'm an alcoholic because that talks about your past and what you're trying to do in the present in order to have a better future. You've got to name the reality. Biblical freedom begins in the garden, and look at how it was, and then we'll talk briefly about how it changed.
0: Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, so there is a choice there.
1: But were they up to, as we might say, exercising the better part of their free will and goodness or not? Notice that they could eat of every tree— ESV says, surely, other translations say, you may freely eat. Tons of freedom. Just one restriction, everything else free. Once they violated that, everything else was slavery, and nothing was free. And that's where we are today. Listen to, again, Paul's word in Galatians 5, 1 and verse 13.
0: For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Yes, if you fall back into the flesh, you end up
1: using the vocabulary of the world like they would use the vocabulary of the Judaizers. Mm. There is pressure for them to cancel grace. It's always been that it's always something a little different, but it always deals with God's redemption or God's creation. In the matter of free will, let me just say that the... The Bible doesn't really spend a lot of time on free will. Free will is always more of a philosophical debate between determinism and libertarianism, and we'll look a little at that later. But take a look now and listen up to Exodus 35, verse 29.
0: All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. All right, their heart was moved, and the result was a free will
1: offering. Their heart was moved. Uh, Twenty-three times in the Old Testament, we find the word free will, and invariably it always refers to a kind of sacrifice, mm. voluntary. But notice the heart had to be moved. All right. Ultimately, who moves the heart? God does. God prompts the heart. It's always been that
0: way. Listen to Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 and 5. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Verse 5 says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God stirred up to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. All right, so how did they get the big opening to go back?
1: God stirred up the spirit of the king of Persia.
0: Of king, some Gentile pagan king, too.
1: Yeah, who worshipped idols. And then, having done that, he went to the people of God, his people, and stirred up a, a group of people whose hearts were touched by God stirring them up. And they got the freedom to move ahead and go build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 30, verses 10 through 12, we have the same kind of phenomena, different
0: time, different location. So the couriers went from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mock them. However, some of the men of Asher, of Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart, to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. Exactly. Some laughed, and
1: clearly these are people who were still in slavery. Others humbled themselves. Why? Because the hand of God was also on Judah, meaning not just on Judah, but also on them. Mm. To give one heart to Judah and everybody else to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. When we get to the New Testament, Paul makes a very profound statement in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12-13, about how this works out in our church
0: life. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Exactly.
1: God is behind every good act that we do in a church. Mm. Our good acts, whatever they may be, if we had ability to trace them back to the origin... We would find they originate with god god is the one who prompts us spurs us stirs us up toward freedom every act of that kind is traced to god now free will basically the, the phrase as it's used in the world is a philosophy it's about determinism versus libertarianism Are everything is everything determined by the fate so to speak or by molecules or by whatever or do we have a, a kind of freedom that's uh, almost uh, crazy sometimes Let's look at Paul's view of history and get a better perspective. Here is a passage from Acts 17. Randy's going to read verse 26 through uh, 27a. What has happened is that Paul's been preaching in Athens. He's been brought before the authorities. They want to know what exactly is it he's preaching to see if he's bona fide.
0: And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Okay, so what is that?
1: Uh, God's freedom is greater than ours. He actually directs history. This is exactly what Paul says, that he has determined. The allotted periods when nations rise and fall, the boundaries, the Mm. geographical locations of them, all of that. And God's purpose in that is that people would, in fact, seek him. So God is free. We are free too, but in a very limited sense when we compare it to God. And we must remember, of course, when it comes to free will, uh, his free will trumps ours. Listen to this passage, very interesting passage from Genesis 20, verses 1
0: through 6. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar, In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Isn't that amazing? It was I who kept you from sinning.
1: God directs world history. He directs personal history, even
0: inside the the harem of uh, Mr. Abimelech. I can see some free will people uh, maybe uh, throwing up some of their hands maybe at that as well. Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. And we don't have time, but we could go
1: on. We've already mentioned Pharaoh who we were, we heard the scripture, God hardened his heart and he chased Israel uh, to the uh, to the Red Sea. Uh, Numbers 23, 24, Balaam mm-hmm. says he's paid by Balak to, to curse Israel. He opens his mouth and doesn't do it. And he tells Balak, I opened my mouth, I had to do what God gave me. Yeah. Was, that's the way it is. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who in his pride says, I've done all this. And Daniel says, you need to repent because if you won't, it's, it's, bad things will happen. And he was made to be like a, like a wolf and ate grass for seven years. And then he lifted his eyes to heaven, came to his senses and praised God. Yeah. Um, God can do what he wants with people. In Acts chapter nine, a fellow named Saul was on his way to Tarsus. I mean, excuse me, on his way to Damascus and uh, got struck down by Jesus mm. with a brine light. He was blind in the dirt and the dust. And Jesus, without even saying so much as, I'm sorry, says, get up. You've got an appointment in the city. Yeah. There's a man going to talk to you. Let's l- listen to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 to understand how this applies. This, what we're talking about, God's impulse in people to do things and follow them through. This is about how, among other things, the word of God came to be written. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. This is from the New uh, inner, uh, English Translation.
0: Above all, you do well if you recognize this. No prophecy of Scripture ever comes about by the prophet's own imagination, for no prophecy was ever born of human impulse. Rather, men, carried along by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God.
1: Yes. Now, we're going to see in a moment what this has to do with cancel culture and uh, our response to it. But here's my best explanation of these things. Back in the 1970s, I was reading a book. I'd just come across this fellow named C.S. Lewis. I was reading a book called God in the Dock, and there was a very interesting article in the back. It was the last article, and it dealt with an interview that C.S. Lewis had with a guy named Sherwood Wirt. And this was in September of 1963. In fact, it was the last interview that C.S. Lewis ever gave. He he died in November of that same year. Mm. And for those who don't know, Decision Magazine is where the interview uh, appeared. That was a magazine put out by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And, um, of course, put a big emphasis on making a choice, you know, free will.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And at that time in my theological career, I was wrestling with this whole thing of predestination versus free will. And here's the truth in a nutshell. It's always a paradox. If you're going to be consistently a predestinarian, you're always going to have issues with certain places in the Bible, which clearly, point otherwise. If you're always going to be free-willing and make God subject to your will, you're going to have trouble as well in certain places in the Bible. It's a paradox. This is the best I've I've come across. Now listen to this. Word quotes, uh, Surprised by Joy. It's a book that Lewis wrote. It's a biography of his spiritual journey to God. Okay. So here's how it goes. Word says to C.S. Lewis, In your book, Surprised by Joy, you remark that you were brought into the faith, kicking and struggling and resentful, with eyes darting in every direction, looking for an escape. You suggest that you were compelled, as it were, to become a Christian. Do you feel that you made a decision at the time of your conversion? Lewis responds, I would not put it that way. What I wrote in surprise by Joy was that, quote, before God closed in on me, I was offered what now appears a moment of wholly free choice, end quote. But I feel my decision was not so important. I was the object rather than the subject in this affair. Mm. I was decided upon. I was glad afterwards at the way it came out. (laughs) But at the moment, what I heard was God saying, put down your gun and we'll talk. Wirtz says, that sounds to me as if you came to a very definite point of decision. (sighs) Lewis says, well, I would say, that the most deeply compelled action is also the freest action. Mm. By that I mean, no part of you is outside the action. It is a paradox. I expressed it in surprise by joy by saying that I chose, yet it really did not seem possible to do the opposite. Now, I might add, my own conversion experience in my early 20s was the same kind of thing that Lewis said. This is why it resonated with me, because at the time I was offered uh, a vision, as it were, a perspective of life. And I said, whoa, I've really blown it. I need need to get right with God. And at the time I was not concerned about my free will or anything else. My concern was I got to do this and get right. Note the emphasis above. The most deeply compelled is also the freest. Lewis is no Calvinist. But the greatest experience is not free will, but freedom, oh. freedom. Yeah. Our response to pressure to keep quiet, and listen to this, our response to pressure to keep quiet should be like Jeremiah's response to his peers who put pressure on him to shut up about the destruction of Jerusalem that was coming. This is a classic passage, and there's many in Jeremiah. Jeremiah
0: 20, 7 through 9. O oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived you are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot.
1: Jeremiah is on record of saying, mm. Lord, you deceived me. I thought this was going to be something different when you got me into this, and now here I am, and I'm preaching about your judgment coming, and all I get from the people is just mocking and ridicule and persecution, and I made a decision, I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm not going to do this. But he said, all of a sudden, you I found my it. mouth open, and I was out there doing it. Yeah doing it, doing it. Now, Jeremiah goes on to bewail his his life. Oh, woe is me. Cursed is the day I was born. And the day a a man came and said, you've got a, a boy child and all that. But that is because of what he feels when he says, I must tell my people, my own people, God's going to destroy them if they, you know, don't repent. It's coming. And by this time, apparently it was past repentance. It was going to happen. And so Jeremiah is very concerned about his life. But with all that great concern, he tried to quit, and he could not, because the power of God was upon him. But oddly enough, paradoxically, Jeremiah is free in this. The world's greatest cry is always for freedom. Mm. In the spiritual realm, it's number one. Listen to Paul's cry as he ends that great chapter 7 with the struggle between good and evil that goes in uh, all the time within us, in all of us on planet Earth, Christian or otherwise. Romans seven twenty-one twenty-five 25a. I see the good, I fall short of it. And he's giving the experience of everybody in the world, Christian or otherwise, who's had this issue. And people have this issue besides just, just Christians. We Christians have it because we fall back in the flesh too many times. But notice the cry he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In other words, I've got to be delivered or I'll never be in freedom doing what I should do. And then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He will deliver me into freedom. So how do we gain this freedom to speak despite the cost that may come and learn from the example of Israel and transcend what they did? We need to be delivered from fear. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, Paul has a great word of advice for his protege, Timothy, who was prone to fear,
0: apparently. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit of not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. God gave us a spirit, the Holy Spirit, not of fear, but of power.
1: And people today want the power, and there is freedom and power, but it's got to come from God, and we've got to receive it in humility and love and, of course, self-control. So that is what we need. We need a spirit of power, freedom from fear, of love, and self-control. One of the great quotes that I remember from the film Braveheart some years back, a braveheart is getting ready with his men to face the king of England on the big field of battle. And he's riding his horse up and down the line where his men have formed up. And he gives them one last charge. And he goes through them. And he says, they may take away our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Mm. Freedom is greater than death. Believe it or not, the motto of New Hampshire, we up there in good old um, Democrat land, New Hampshire, live free or die. Mm -hmm. Live free or die. Okay. I had an experience years ago which showed me the the need. Yes, there is such a thing as free will depending on how we explain it. But what is so much more important is that we are in the freedom of Jesus. And that's greater, as we will see, than our will. I hope we're seeing it already. And if we don't, the opposite is not a bad choice but free will. It's slavery. Mm -hmm. And we're not with God. When I was teaching a class, it was from First John. And if you're familiar with First John, he has a lot of things in there. If you have the seed within you, you will not sin. He who has it and does not sin. And so I was discussing that. And I said, ultimately, I said, won't it be great in the age to come, in the world to come, when we won't have to worry about these problems of free will. We will be totally free, totally free. And I had some people in the class who just objected to that and said, no, no, no. We got to have free will because that's what it means to be human. And I said, You want free, you're wanting in glory to come, the world to come, the ability to still choose wrong? Is that what you're telling me to sin? Well, you got to have free will. No, 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 no. What makes us human is not free will. It's when we're really free, is when we're human. We're made in the image of God, and God is so free, he never chooses poorly. (laughs) Never happens. So, we need a come-to-Jesus moment that God will provide us with courage, the freedom to name things as they are, and wisdom as to the timing. I don't think we just need to all of a sudden rise up to the middle of a, of a meeting and right. start, start proclaiming things. You've got no. to have a context. When, when you say it matters. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. So here is a good proverb, 25, verses 11 and 12. To help us in that.
0: A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver like a gold ring or an ornament of gold in a wise reprover to a listening
1: ear. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a silver setting. And then the second part, uh, gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear, meaning that when the time is apt and we speak out, yes, we will get opposition, but there'll be those who will hear it. Yeah. There will be those who will hear it. So what to do? Well, we can pray for this kind of compellingness within us generated by the spirit of god we can pray for it and you say well i don't feel anything that doesn't matter here's another great quote from c.s lewis the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best oh man and if you've ever had a dry period in prayer and thought what's the point i feel nothing i'm not spiritual yeah remember these words from mr lewis wow that God appreciates those prayers most because we are traveling in a wilderness trying to get to where the water is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so seeking conviction, how to become compelled. And when I compelled, I don't mean you, you lose control of yourself because already seen if we have the spirit of power, we have self-control. But we, our opponents are certainly compelled mm-hmm. in what they're doing. So we need to be people who have this divine, wonderful compulsion. How do we do that? Here is something I came across years ago Uh, doing Bible study early one morning in the classroom before the kids showed up where I was teaching. Psalm 119, verses 17 and 18. And then, well, we've got one more, but first verses 17 and 18 from Psalm 119.
0: Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law.
1: There you go. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And the law there, the way it's used in that means everything that God basically has written down. Mm. It's, uh, the word Torah means instruction in, in other contexts as well. Teach me, Lord, your word. Open my eyes. And when we see wonderful things, we will have that compulsion when the time comes to bring it forth. Now, how great is that compulsion? Listen to this. Verse 23 of that same
0: section. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. There you go. Mm. Even though princes, the
1: the power of government and everything else is against me, I will have the togetherness of the spirit of power and love and self-control to continue to meditate on what will I say next. Good stuff. So, the powers that be cannot stop us. Now... So we pray to God, let me see what I must have, what I must do, what I must say to bear witness to uh, God as the creator and redeemer of mankind. Now, you may say, well, I'm not well versed in these things or gifted in evangelism. If you remember in Acts chapter one, when Jesus sends the church first out, represented by those original apostles, he called them to be witnesses. Hmm. And that's what all Christians are called to be. First and foremost, witnesses. Others will be selected out to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, as Ephesians 4 says, that Paul points out that when Jesus ascended into glory to take his throne on, uh, next to the Father, uh, he gave gifts unto men, and those gifts are distributed throughout the churches. Originally, was the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers, and so, but everybody is called to be a witness. And the reason why God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to the church is to build up the church, to make it grow in the spirit for the ministry. And especially this, because this is verse 14 from that same
0: section of Ephesians 4. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Exactly.
1: We do not want to be carried about by the cultural narrative, which is blowing like Mm. the wind through this country, human cunning, which is not God's wisdom, by craftiness, which is of Satan, and deceitful schemes. It's not the truth. We must then take advantage of what the churches offer us and get ourselves grounded in the word of God and bear that good witness to God the creator and the redeemer. And be ready for opportunities to speak out. And be ready for opportunities to speak out and uh, pray that, Lord, give me, a, give me a burning spirit like Jeremiah exactly. so that even though I want to keep my mouth shut, I can't, I can't do it. i got to speak out, even though it may be uh, people who will not like what I say. So as Christians, as we close, final word, as Christians, we surrender our free will to Christ to become slaves to His will so that in our witness, by word or deed, we will live freely, mm. powerfully, Lovingly, with self-control in the spirit, filled with a compelling conviction that his word points toward reality because his word word is real. And we will have, as Mel Gibson said, freedom!
0: (laughs) Thank you, Randy. Well, thanks, Jim. And we have a lot to think about. And we want to thank Bob for giving us the topic for today. And I'm sure that there are questions and comments about other things and we'd love to hear those questions or comments from you. Please send your questions or comments or requests to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, and the word expectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment on air where possible, and we'll always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until next time, keep looking up.